Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, Canada and the U.S. reach a deal on Nexus. How long before the backlog is cleared? Plus, why is the Chilliwack School District hiring uncertified teachers? And as security threats grow, is the time Canada finally banned TikTok? That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Canada and the United States have reached a workaround deal uh, in a dispute over the popular Nexus Trusted Traveler uh, program. The dispute over Nexus, you may all remember this, uh, which allows citizens in Canada and the United States to cross the joint border more quickly. Well, it's generated a huge backlog, 300,000 applicants waiting in the queue to get their applications approved. Um, Canada and the U.S. remain at odds over legal protection for U.S. Customs and Border Protection Officers. Uh, who worked in uh, Nexus offices here in Canada. Uh, Now, the Americans want some protection for them as it's guaranteed in the U.S. for pre-clearance officers uh, at uh, Canadian land crossings and at airports under a 2019 agreement. Uh, Now, the Canadian officials do say that it's not, the deal itself is not a final resolution, but a makeshift effort to speed up application uh, processing. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the Nexus program is Robert McDowell. He's the founder of Pivot Travel, which is an affiliate of Fair Connect. Robert, thank you for joining us. Hey, great to be here today, Jess. So first of all, uh, your thoughts just on this news. Uh, it doesn't look like it's a final deal, but looks like they've got something that, is, as I said, is a bit makeshift. But your thoughts on yeah. what, what the announcement today? I mean, it's better. It's better to have some some movement on this rather than uh, the full yard. They they really have to to move on this file, and they have for some time. So it's it's good to see that they're paying a bit more attention to it. Now, my understanding is, it, and uh, right now, I think uh, President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau will be speaking or in the next few minutes uh, on a variety of issues as they are meeting uh, with the Mexican uh, leader. Uh, but uh, uh, we, I understand that uh, Nexus will be part of that conversation. But the process yeah. right now, the key part of that application process, to my, my understanding, there's two interviews, one by Canada Customs officials and one by an American customs officer uh, that have exactly. to be completed for the nexus card so in regards to what we're hearing right now it looks like you'd have to go uh, to the border crossing or sorry to the airport to have this conversation then uh, yeah actually the airport nexus office has been closed for quite some time um so uh, since before covid and it still has a reopen if you go to the u.s section you'll see it's kind of this sad ghost of a shell of a nexus office so yeah the, the holdup seems to be the security that the u.s uh, border guards are insisting upon that we have uh, or the fact that they should be able to ca- carry weapons as they can in the states, mm-hmm. um, and that seems to be the real the real sticking point here. So, um, whether they divide the interviews, which they're talking about, so they have the Canadian one in Canada, and then you actually have to go down to the border or go past uh, security clearance in at YVR to get it there. Um, that's to be seen. Yeah, they did talk. I mean, one of the pre-clearance areas, of course, is YVR and in many other major cities, uh, major airports yes. across this country. And like you said, right. it would it would likely be you going to the airport and potentially going to a land border crossing in the U.S. to do so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I know it's it's a it's a program administered jointly, but by far the biggest users of Nexus are actually Canadians. 
eighty percent of the one point almost one, almost two million people use Nexus, and eighty percent of those are Canadians. So yeah, that it's definitely popular uh, with Canada, and it's really something that Canadians are benefiting from. Why has it gotten to this point, and why why have we allowed it? Because if it's eighty percent of us, eighty percent of the program are Canadians, uh, why have we collectively and in our government well, allowed it to get get here? In your assessment, I, I mean, essentially, it is run by the Americans, so they do have quite a hold on this in terms of the security clearances Canadians have to get. So, uh, you know, uh, and with COVID and with the shutdown of these offices anyways and personal interviews, um, it's just created this huge backlog. And now not only the 300,000, but every year, because it's only a five-year membership, every year you have another 400,000 people that need to renew their membership. So, you know, we're talking about, yeah, just trying to catch up with, you saw the passport mess over the COVID uh, break and and. The, trying to catch up with the passports, this is a whole nother uh, side of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long do you think it's going to take before we get through all of this in your mind in regards to well, the backlog? Well, I mean, I mean, the nice thing is they, they do give a bit of a grace period. So people who's as long as you apply to renew your card, uh, your Nexus card before uh, it expires, they do give you a grace period. And that's started at six months that went up to two years now it's about a year but they're not really specifying that so you can still use that uh apparently um uh as long as you've applied um and you're waiting for the answer for your renewal so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a while yet i would imagine it would be another year a year and a half it depends on how many of these centers and how much of a backlog they can they can uh, catch up with. I, I know that a lot of people are getting interviews um, waived, so mm-hmm. they are getting uh, a renewals at least. Um, they're getting approvals, and they're just the Nexus cards. Happily for them, they just show up in their mailbox. Oh wow! So, in regards to just if you feel something's coming up very soon, or if you at that anniversary level uh, time, a year or less, you should just get the application and just do not wait. It, it may take a year, but just get it started as soon as possible. There's there's no way you should wait much longer. You can apply a year before your card expires. So I would certainly suggest you do that. Um, take advantage of that. Uh, yeah, there's there's no question that uh, a friend had had applied before COVID. He just got his card now. So he applied <laughs> oh before God. March 2020. It showed up in the mail. He had thought it had been lost. It showed up uh, last week. Oh, wow. So, well, that's, yeah. uh, that is yeah. good news. But And we're going to hear uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, I understand, has just gotten up and hopefully they'll get to a question. We'll keep following uh, this story throughout the program. But thank you for your time today and fingers crossed for that sure. all of this dealt. Thanks so much, Robert. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Jess. All right. Oh, in Chilliwack, I saw this headline today. I wanted to share this with you. Um, there is a shortage of teachers in Chilliwack. Uh, and what it means is that students this year uh, may be faced uh, with a substitute teacher who is technically not certified as a teacher. The hiring of uncertified teachers is nothing new in a lot of northern towns, rural communities, but it's never happened in Chilliwack, school district number 33. Now, the union uh, that represents teachers calls a shortage of teachers extremely, extremely disruptive for students. They're concerned in regards to what's occurring, occurring in their community. Uh, and uh, they are asking uh, for the ministry, obviously, to get more teachers trained. But it is going to be a challenge for for Chilliwack and many other communities because there's just a shortage of teachers right now. Joining me now to talk about the issue in Chilliwack is Danielle Bennett. She's the president of the Chilliwack Teachers Association. Danielle, thank you for joining us today. It's good to be here. 
a very interesting headline that uh, we read this morning at our morning meeting when we're hearing that the Chilliwack School District is looking to hire uncertified teachers. It kind of caught my attention. Walk me through what's uh, what the district is going through. Well, there's a severe TTOC shortage. Those are our teachers on call, and they cover for teachers who are absent due to illness. And there is a, a, a large lack of TTOCs province-wide. Um, we've seen in northern districts this has been an acute problem, and they've had uncertified TTOCs in those districts in the past. This is the first time in Chilliwack that we've looked at hiring uncertified people to fill positions in order to have bodies in front of children. So when you say uncertified, this would be teachers who who have finished a, a university degree but have not gone through the teaching component or just are waiting to be certified? Uh, generally speaking, these are teachers who have not had any teacher training whatsoever. They do hold degrees as per the uh, requirement of the school district. So they have a, a bachelor degree or higher, and they have some interest in working with students and children and maybe have had some p- uh, past experience such as coaching or you know youth group kind of things. But they generally have no teaching experience whatsoever. But they are, um, they are being hired by the school district to fill in for absent teachers. Mm-hmm. And, and generally, how long does the teacher training component take uh, for a, an aspiring teacher after they have the degree? It depends on the program that they're in, Jazz. So sometimes it can be, you know, a year and a half to two years for the teacher teacher training program. Mm-hmm. And so what we'd really like to see the district do is with hiring these uncertified people is work towards getting them into a teacher training program and support them through that. Um, the other issue is that the school act actually provides a mechanism for the districts to hire uncertified people. This is called the letter of permission process. And our district has not followed that process. So these are actual uncertified people who aren't even being governed by their own uh, regulation through the school act. Hmm. Uh, why is Chilliwack dealing with this issue? And you did say it was a province-wide issue, and I understand that. Uh, and, you know, it's still part of the Metro Vancouver area, so generally you don't have a problem attracting teachers. Is it just a case of we're not training enough, treat, similar to what our healthcare system, we're not uh, just training enough medical professionals, in this case education professionals, quick enough to deal with the demand? That's part of the problem. We also had our restored language in 2017 through the Supreme Court of Canada ruling, which increased the demand for teachers, Mm -hmm. and the programs just haven't kept up since. COVID also played a role in that, where a lot of teachers may have left the profession uh, due to the uncertainty that COVID brought. And so uh, throughout the whole province, we have not enough teachers. We are also one of the lowest paid um, teaching in teaching in BC, or sorry, BC was one of the lowest paid in Canada. So we're hoping our collective agreement with the wage will help attract new teachers here. So it's all about recruitment and retention, and we just struggle with that here in Chilliwack. Give me a sense of what the growth has been like in your district. I know many um, communities south of the Fraser are growing. That's where the growth is in the lower mainland in many cases. But give me a sense of what Chilliwack's going through in regards to just demand for teachers, uh, growth of schools, that sort of thing. Well, we always like to say we grow by a small elementary school every single year. So we usually have between 280 and 350 new students every single year. And we just don't have the schools to keep up with that either. So our classrooms are very overcrowded and and stuffed full. And now we need more teachers to provide those services for students, and they're just not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to uh, the challenge specifically with, with with these with these teachers, have you spoken to any of these individuals who also obviously want to be certified or considering teaching, but are now going into a classroom where they just haven't had 
perhaps the education yet in 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 a real way uh, to do this. I mean, have you talked to any of these individuals who who are heading into this? Um, we have in our orientation sessions, we have one of our uh, executive members who participates in those and welcomes these new teachers to the district. One of the things we always say is, you know, we need to treat them with kindness and support them as much as we possibly can because they are in here for the right reasons. They're in here to help the kids and uh, we want to support them as best we can. Um, the overall uh, challenge that you said, look, the rural communities are having to deal with, the, deal with this. Chilliwack is, uh, this is the first time it's had to deal with uncertified teachers. Do you view this as a one-off for, for this year, maybe the next, but after that you should be able to attract teachers once again, certified teachers once again? No, I see this as a long-term program. This is a band-aid on a, on, on a situation that needs some systemic change. And that need, that change needs to come from the ministry and from the government. And is that just a case of more teaching spaces in your mind? It's, uh, it's more teaching spaces and it's also, um, classroom composition, uh, workload language for teachers. It's putting those supports in for teachers and for students. And that's part of it. It's also the wage and the benefits for, for teachers. So those are, uh, uh, I guess you call them TAs or teaching assistants, that type of support that teachers need? The teachers need, um, yeah, we call them EAs here in Chilliwack, education assistants. Mm-hmm. We definitely need those. And there's a shortage of EAs as well. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I heard from a school today that was short for EAs. So um, it, it is a, a problem throughout the district with both teachers and EAs. But supports for teachers, too, is, is the EA supports, but it's also providing the other supports that they need, things like mental health supports in the, in the schools and uh, more counseling services and things that will help to deal with the trauma that the students are facing. Well, it's a very uh, challenging time, I know, for your district. I appreciate you sharing the story today. I uh, look forward to chatting with you in the future as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jazz. Today, a federal U.S. agency says a ban on gas stoves is on the table amid rising concern about a harmful indoor air pollutants emitted by the appliances. Uh, Richard Trumka Jr., a commissioner with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, said all options would be on the table to regulate the appliances, which have been shown to be harmful to both human health and the environment. Now, a December 2022 study in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health found that indoor gas stove usage uh, is associated with an increased risk of current asthma among children. The study found that almost 13% of current childhood asthma in the U.S. is attributable to gas stove use. Think about that for a second. 13% of current childhood asthma attributable to gas stove use. Other studies have found these stoves emit significant levels of nitrogen oxide, dioxide, carbon monoxide, and find particulate matter. Uh, as well, which uh, without proper ventilation can raise the levels of indoor concentration levels to, uh, sorry, unsafe levels as deemed by the Environmental Protection Agency. Well, joining me now to talk about this issue is Professor Jose Luis Jimenez. He is a professor uh, of chemistry and distinguished professor at the Cooperative Institute for Research and Environmental Sciences at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Professor Jimenez, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, this study uh, for parents, uh, for society uh, who uh, have, are hearing about this study today and, and uh, over the last 24 hours, what key message does this send to the public in your mind? Well, the, in, in particular, the news today was about the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, saying that as a consequence of previous studies, they are considering a ban on gas stoves and natural gas stoves. 
So I think it, it sends a message, although, you know, such bans may take time, that people should take action in their own hands. And if they have an option to change, to get rid of gas and change to an electric stove, they should do so um, as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. For our audience, what are the key findings for you as a researcher? What, does the, what is the biggest cause of, for concern for you? Um, according to the studies um, that have been done, I think it's nitrogen dioxide is one of the is one of the main concerns. There are there are other pollutants, but in particular, you cannot help when you're burning natural gas in the home that nitrogen dioxide is a pollutant that gets made from the nitrogen and the oxygen in the air when you heat them up. Now, this is a pollutant that's very bad for children in particular. Uh, it's estimated that 13% of the cases of, of children that have asthma are due to natural gas, and it may it may increase also the likelihood that they have an asthma attack then, not just children, but anyone, and it affects people who, who can have respiratory issues or can create respiratory issues. So it's just a very bad idea uh, to be breathing nitrogen dioxide in your home when you can avoid it, when, when you can just get an induction stove and, and, and avoid breathing it. Mm-hmm. Um, in your mind, is this a um, a call for action for government to head in that direction of banning the use of gas stoves, or do you think it is something where we where we can uh, move? Uh, I don't want to say slowly, but um, a bit more judiciously, where you just start banning perhaps new new construction of homes and the use of natural gas, or do you think this needs to be the the government's reaction needs to be faster and swifter? Well, government reaction will be slow, no matter what, because of the power of the natural gas industry. So I am under no illusion that any of these will be implemented quickly. Um, I think definitely banning it in new construction or in removals would be a good first step. And banning it in locations where sensitive people live, like um, nursing homes or you know places like that, that would also be a good move. Anything that goes in that direction would be a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, or, or another way to say is banning the sale of new gas stoves maybe would be a, li- a little better because then basically no new ones are being installed, so that would be a little more aggressive than maybe that. Um, but yeah, all, all of those would be good steps. And besides the environmental calls, uh, concerns obviously that, the, that is uh, obviously being debated, continues to be debated in regards to the use of natural gas, extraction, extraction of natural gas. Uh, but for you, this is a wake-up call because it is specific to health as well. I mean, this is a clear, uh, probably one of the more clear studies in your mind uh, that really speak to uh, the public and its health and the use of natural gas and its impact on people. Yes, yes, and, and it's not just a study. There is there is many studies that have accumulated um, by now, and I would say, yeah, the the health is is more immediate. You know, the, the climate. We should also stop using natural gas and other fossil fuels completely as fast as we can across society, due to climate reasons. But you know, that's that's slower and that involves larger changes. But um, you know. Uh, getting rid of gas stoves is something that's, that's more within reach and, and that will have this enormous benefit for, for the health of people. Mm-hmm. Professor, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That is Professor Jose Luis Jimenez. He's a distinguished professor at the School of Chemistry and the Cooperative Institute for Research in Environmental Sciences at the University of Colorado 
Uh, at Boulder, he, of course, was talking about uh, a study uh, that came out that was completed in December of 22, just last month, 2022, by the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, which basically found that indoor gas stove usage is associated with an increased risk of current asthma among children. The study found that almost 13%, imagine that, 13% of current childhood asthma in the U.S. is attributable to gas stove usage. Uh, Richard Trumka, who is a commissioner with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, said all options would be on the table to regulate the appliances. Now, I want to uh, reiterate, in fact, uh, Mr. Trumka uh, was on today. Uh, It's not the banning of the old natural gas. It's just that any new uh, products potentially they may ban or look at banning. So this is a conversation. It's not happening in uh, today or anything like that, but certainly a very uh, interesting uh, study that is uh, gaining a lot of attention. Now, earlier today, uh, my colleague uh, Jill Bennett spoke to Dr. Men Biagton, Vice President of Health Initiatives at the BC Lung Foundation, uh, and uh, talked about this issue as well. And uh, Dr. Biagton talked about that this issue has been looked at in Canada as well. Take a listen. Yeah, it has been looked on uh, in Canada as well, and there has been a growing evidence that shows that the use of gas stoves can increase levels of pollutants inside a home. Some of the initial studies have shown that um, people, especially the low-income group people, uh, usually are experiencing some kind of asthma, worsening of asthma symptoms among children. And then over a lifetime, they have already found out that they, that these kids eventually will develop or people will develop asthma. Now, the study, uh, other studies have found that the stoves emit significant levels of nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and uh, fine particulate matter. Uh, Dr. Biagton, uh, speaking to Jill um, Bennett earlier today, also said uh, even when the stove is off, it's still dangerous. Take a listen. Even when the uh, gas stove is off, it's still leaking methane, a small amount of methane. And over the period of time, if the house is not well ventilated, then it can accumulate to high levels of uh, pollutants inside a home, particularly nitrogen dioxide. That was Dr. Men Biagton. So what do you think about all this? I know uh, certainly when we talk to local officials over the past five, seven years, there's been a talk about banning natural gas uh, in uh, Vancouver. Some of it it was a political rhetoric. Uh, I think 52% uh, of homes here in British Columbia uh, rely, uh, when it comes to principal household energy sources, in Alberta, natural gas is 77%. In BC, it's 52%, uh, slightly higher than 49% in Manitoba, but a significant amount nevertheless. But there's been talk about uh, banning the use of natural gas, perhaps in use, new appliances, new buildings as well. Today, members of Congress are demanding that ESPN, yes, the sports network, log out of its relationship with TikTok after the Chinese social media giant sponsored the halftime shows on recent college football bowl games. Now, in a letter to the network, Representatives Mike Gallagher, who's a Republican, and Raja Krishnamurthy, who is a Democrat, writes the write that TikTok poses a significant uh, threat to U.S. national security uh, and that the sponsorship raises serious questions about ESPN's corporate decision-making. Now, meanwhile, TikTok has also inked other major sports partnerships, including deals with the National Hockey League and Major League Soccer teams as well. Now, over the past five weeks, nearly two dozen state governors and officials have imposed government restrictions 
of TikTok uh, in their states. The bans range from prohibiting the device on government internet networks to restricting state employees from using or downloading the app on state devices. So what is TikTok? I'm sure your 10-year-old would probably explain it to you. But it's essentially a video sharing app that allows users to create and share short-form videos on any topic. Uh, The platform allows users to get creative with their content using filters and stickers and voiceovers and sound effects and background music. And if you ever go on there, you can see people singing, dancing. You can see people selling products uh, to real estate agents, uh, putting up their latest uh, listings. Now, U.S. officials have said that because businesses in China are not truly independent from the government in Beijing, Chinese Communist Party officials might force TikTok to hand over data it has collected on American users or TikTok might use the app uh, to promote Chinese propaganda or censor uh, material that Beijing doesn't like. Take a listen. Okay, has anyone else noticed that your For You page has been a little too accurate lately? It hasn't been things that I'll Google or I talk about. It's been thoughts. TikTok knows everything about us. Hold up, don't scroll. Let me ask you something first. Can someone please explain how this algorithm works? TikTok users often wonder how the world's fastest growing social network seems to know them so well. TikTok's secretly listening to us while we're watching videos. I don't know. The answer to how this app gets to know you so intimately is a highly secretive algorithm, long guarded by TikTok's China-based parent company, ByteDance. TikTok has been so successful in terms of implementing their algorithms. TikTok's algorithm can influence the thinking of U.S. youth. To understand how it knows users so well, The Wall Street Journal created over 100 automated TikTok accounts, or bots, that watched hundreds of thousands of videos on the app. We also spoke to current and former executives at the company. Officially, the company says that shares, likes, follows, and what you watch all play a role in what TikTok shows you. We found that TikTok only needs one of these to figure you out. How long you linger over a piece of content. Every second you hesitate or rewatch, the app is tracking you. I just want to quiet the noise. Through this one powerful signal, TikTok learns your most hidden interests and emotions and drives you deep into rabbit holes of content. That it does, and that is why there is concern in the United States, Democratic and Republic, Republic in regards to Republican and in regards to um, what uh, uh, TikTok is about. And countries like India have already banned TikTok as well. Well, our next guest in a recent column in the Toronto Sun says it's time Canada uh, banned TikTok as well. Warren Kinsella is a Toronto-based lawyer, author, and consultant. He is a former special assistant to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Warren, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, lots to talk about here. You wrote a column uh, just recently in regards to Canada uh, should seriously consider um, banning TikTok in this country. What's the what was the gist of your argument? Well, I think the you know there's a lot of people upset about TikTok. Um, you know the statistics to the contrary. I mean, millions and millions of people, including millions of Canadians, are on it. But uh, you know, quite apart from the fact that. It's there's been some well-founded criticism of it for, you know, promoting um, unhealthy body attitudes with young people, um, things like that. I think one thing that a lot of people are concerned about is its proximity to the uh, People's Republic of China. Uh, TikTok is headquartered there. Um, the Chinese regime actually has shares and um, some management control over. Uh, TikTok, and um, as BuzzFeed uh, revealed just a few months ago, um, 
the uh, TikTok uh, management, uh, the executives there, do disclose a lot of what they're doing to the Chinese regime. So, you know, I think given the fact that it's now been documented by Canadian media that we've got um, secret (laughs) police agencies uh, uh, being set up by uh, the Chinese regime in places like Vancouver and Toronto. We've got uh, documented interference, as CSIS has told us, by uh, the Chinese regime in the, at least the 2019 um, federal election campaign where uh, um, illegally Canadian um, Liberal Party uh, candidates and, and Conservative Party candidates receive money from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Like we, it, we're entitled to be concerned, and I think... Um, you know, if we've got this app that is just tremendously popular, possibly watching us as much as we're watching it, we need to um, take some steps to protect ourselves. Uh, And I think many Canadians don't realize that no matter what business you have set up in China, ultimately they are answerable to the Communist Party of China. It doesn't matter what business you're in, what sector you're in. Uh, if you are based in China, uh, the, the supremacy of the Chinese Communist Party rules over everything and anything. Do you worry, though, that if our government did decide to go uh, forward with something uh, similar to like India has done, you're seeing uh, some uh, bans on, on government phones in U.S. states now and uh, at the uh, national level as well, that it's just, it's just too popular of an app, especially with young people, that... Uh, there would be pushback? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of people saying, look, the, <laughs> the horse has left the barn. Like in, in Canada, the projection is that uh, 10 million people will be using the app uh, by this time next year. Um, that's a quarter of the country. Like in the United States, the, the penetration that it's had with teenagers in particular, so 13 to 17-year-olds, um, have admitted that they use it every single day, 70% of them. And of that group, about you know, 12 or 15% of them are saying that they use it constantly. And, you know, people looking at it, if you, you don't have TikTok, and I don't, and, uh, you know, they look at it and say, well, you know, Warren, it's kind of harmless, it's innocuous, it's, you know, people doing goofy things and dancing to videos and stuff like that. And that is true. But TikTok was designed about a decade ago to track the user. It's not just a one-way experience. It's going in both directions. So what TikTok is brilliant at doing is disclosing your likes and your dislikes, but also political leanings. And, you know, according to BuzzFeed, even where you are, there's a belief now among Western intelligence agencies that TikTok is tracking where people in the West are physically at any given moment. Now, uh, Warren, where do you think this conversation around TikTok fits into our broader conversation around the illegal Chinese stations here and the meddling in our elections? It seems like we need a, a sort of a fundamental rethink on how we address and interact with China beyond just TikTok. We do. And, you know, this has been a debate in Canada for quite some time. And that you know the Trudeau government, as you know, I you know I used to work for a Liberal Prime Minister, so I'm mm-hmm. I don't belong to the China is is evil all the time school, but you know under Chairman Xi, China has become a global problem and a global global threat, not just to us, but to you know democracy in the West, and and so it's taken the Trudeau guys some some time to get a handle on that and to adjust to the fact that, you know, Biden and, and others who aren't just reflexively anti-China 
also have a problem. So that's that's good, and I think that that is that is happening. Um, but in the case of, of TikTok, you know, they need to take a look at what's happening. And at least 20 states in the United States right now are saying to their employees and contractors, you can't use TikTok on one of our phones. You know, the U.S. military is saying, you can't use TikTok when you're communicating. You can't use it if you're a member of the armed forces. You know, there's other countries around the world, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, who have done similarly, maybe not always for national security reasons, but have said, you know, you're not allowed to use it. And I, and I guess the most telling example of all is that it, one country where you can't get TikTok at all, China. <laughs> In China, they don't allow people to use it. So, um, you know, I think that we just need to, this is a sophisticated app. And we need to get sophisticated in how we deal with it. Do you think the present administration um, has the backbone, not just on, on TikTok, but, uh, it, you know, there has been conversation now in the past for a couple of months about being tougher with China. But do you think we can sustain that as a country? Because there's always that pressure of uh, from um, from Bay Street to Vancouver's Howe Street. Like, it's still a place where we have to invest. We want to attract Chinese investment that we aren't tough. Uh, with China, let's say, uh, you know, a, a similar democracy like Australia has been, uh, that we perhaps may not yet have the will to to do what's required, uh, the, the heavy lifting that's required in regards to pushing back on China. Yeah, well, the recent history has not been promising. You know, um, the two Michaels case, I think, is the most dramatic example of, of that and the way in which, um, you know, Huawei was permitted to kind of stomp all over us and the Chinese regime so the recent history has not been good. However, um, I think in recent months, the Trudeau government has taken a slightly more aggressive stance towards China. I know the Chinese probably don't lay awake at night thinking about us, um, but they should. And um, because if we're acting in concert with our allies in Western Europe and in the United States, uh, we can, can have an impact. So I'm hopeful that when President Biden visits with the prime minister, uh, you know, in March of this year, just announced today that this is going to be one of the subjects that gets addressed. I mean, Trump, for all of his faults, recognized that there were some problems with TikTok and they were getting ready to force TikTok to divest um, its Chinese ownership. And it looked like that was going to happen. And then the U.S., the 2020 election interfered. So uh, hopefully that's something that Biden and, and Trudeau can explore. Because we just got to take this stuff seriously. Like it's not, it's not just videos for for teenagers. This is an app who's watching us, and it's an app that's headquartered in the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. Warren, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thanks, my friend. Time now to revisit our lead story today. Canada and the United States have reached a workaround deal in a dispute over the popular uh, Nexus trusted. Uh, traveler program. Now, as many of you know, when listening to this show, there's been a dispute over Nexus, which allows, of course, citizens of Canada and the United States across uh, the border much quickly. While there's been a 300,000 applicant backlog, people waiting in the queue to get their application approved, it's been a huge challenge. And at, at its core, the problem has been that Canada and U.S. remain at odds over legal protection for U.S. Customs and Border Protection Officers 
who work in Nexus offices uh, in, in Canada. Uh, basically, what we've been told at this particular point, that according to Canadian officials uh, who were at a conference today, of course, with uh, Joe Biden and the President of Mexico and uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, according to Canadian officials, the workaround, it is just a workaround, ladies and gentlemen, it's not uh, a full solution yet. The workaround will allow Canadian Nexus applicants to conduct their Canadian interview at a, at a number of yet-to-be-announced Canadian airports. Vancouver, of course, will be one of them. Prior to a flight to the United States, when the applicant's U.S.-bound flight lands in the U.S., they would head to a U.S. customs office to complete their American Nexus interview. It is a workaround, and we expect the government to have more for us in regards to details tomorrow. Joining me now to talk about the backlog at Nexus is Claire Newell. She is the president and founder of Travel Best Bets. Claire, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy New Year to you as well. And and it is a, a happy New Year to a certain degree in regards to this announcement today that uh, at this stage says that Canada and the U.S. have reached a workaround deal around the Nexus application backlog. Your thoughts on it? Well, it's, you know, it's very promising. It's been a really rough road for anyone who has an application in process. Um, renewals have been have been getting through. I've got a lot of family and friends who have gone through that process um, because everything stayed the same and an interview wasn't necessary. But anyone who was applying for a new one or let theirs expire and had to go, you know, start from scratch, they've had a long, long wait. You know, the the we're talking about a list about 300,000 deep. And up until, you know, this news, there's only been two Nexus offices in Canada that have opened. Both of them are in Ontario, literally just scratching the surface of this kind of problem that's been deepening and deepening over the years um, since they were closed. Yeah. You know, as, as we speak at this stage, it looks like um, the workaround will allow Canadian Nexus applicants to conduct their uh, Canadian interview uh, I guess at a number of yet to be announced Canadian airports, I'm assuming Vancouver would be one. Yes. Uh, prior yes. to a flight to Vancouver, and then when the applicant's U.S. bound flight lands in the U.S., they would head to a U.S. customs office to complete their American Nexus interview. This seems like it's still incredibly frustrating and and yes. burdensome, isn't it? I mean, I know this is it will. <laughs> And especially if you have something that is scheduled in each of the offices and flights are delayed or they're, you know, they're canceled. And we've seen all of that over the winter break. It's been really rough. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that go, um, proceeds. But it is a cumbersome process to start with, you know, fingerprints and interviews and big uh, application forms. It is well worth it. It's $50 for five years. And I absolutely swear by it. But I'm one of the people who um, was you know, needing mine renewed. And my mine actually happened uh, to be up for renewal next year, 20, well, sorry, this year now, 2023, September the 7th, which is my birthday. And I actually put it in one year in in advance for the renewal. I put it, my application back in for renewal on September 8th of 22, like literally the first day I could, Jazz. Wow. And, and even like the backlog right now, I think the official numbers are 300,000 and growing. I mean, yeah. how do you get through all of this, even when the system is up and running? Well, at you know, pre-COVID, it was still on their website saying it was going to be a six to eight month process. So getting through this backlog is probably going to take at least a year. Um, if they get through it and they hire more people quicker, I would be pleasantly surprised. But this is a very, very long wait. 
I just want to remind people, if you are an existing member like myself, you and you want to keep your membership benefits for up to another five years, you do have to renew your Nexus membership prior to its expiry. If you, if you let it lapse, you're starting from scratch again. In this case, the dispute at its core is still the ability for Americans, American officers to carry weapons on Canadian soil while they're doing the work uh, for this Nexus program. Well, that's what they're saying, and you know that's um, that's such an unfortunate thing. I don't know what they were doing pre-pandemic, um, but if we could just go back to that, and there could be some sort of a resolution. It would be so great. But this has taken a really long time to resolve. I'm glad that there's at least some sort of um, you know promising light at the end of the tunnel. But I'm really looking forward to seeing the actual details of this once they actually come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the problem itself. I mean, part of the issue uh, one of our, one many have argued is that look, it, it, it's a system to help both both countries, both country uh, travelers from both countries. But the bulk of mm-hmm. the Nexus users are actually Canadian, and uh, that's what surprises me is Canada should be bending over backwards to make sure whatever needs to be done is done because the 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 bulk beneficiaries of this, the majority of the beneficiaries are actually Canadians, not Americans. Yeah, that's that's so true. And so I'm surprised that Canada hasn't come to some sort of a compromise quicker. And I'd be interested to know, because I actually don't, maybe you do, Jazz, is, you know, what was protocol with firearms prior? So... And I understand the need for officers actually to carry weapons, and, and you see that. You know, I went through my Nexus interview. I didn't have a problem with it. It, it. it was a bit frustrating and cumbersome, and it took a long time. And I think in my case, there was a screw-up in the application on their end, and it took a long time to work its way through, but it got done, and I'm glad I have right. it. It is incredibly convenient, as you know and I know. Yeah. Many of our listeners know, but it, to think something of that sort, we have customs guards, we have Americans working at airports, um, it's an issue that should easily be dealt with. And I'm just, I just can't believe that yeah. to get to the point where you have 300,000 people in the backlog, never mind new people who also want to join the system as well. So hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, there's some clarity on this as well. Claire, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jazz. It's 2023, as we all know. Happy New Year, we always like to say. And right after that, the next day, we talk about New Year's resolutions. And one of the things that we um, all uh, think about, of course, is to the goal to lose weight, get into better shape. It's one of the things we all talk about in uh, January of 2023. Uh, many of us out there are committed. Um, we decide to join a gym. But before you decide to join a gym, there's a lot to think about because purchasing that gym membership may uh, mean you uh, sign up for long-term contracts. There's a lot of things to think about. Joining us now to talk a little bit about not getting ripped off when you sign those gym membership is Simone Liss. She is president to the Better Business Bureau of Mainland BC. Simone, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you uh, as well. Uh, So let's start uh, with the basics first and foremost. Uh, You know, you want to get in shape, you want to make that commitment, you're ready to go. What kind of things should people be looking out for when it comes to um, assigning a a longer-term contract with a gym? We always want to remind people, especially when entering into an agreement, is that you are bound by what you're signing. And so in order for you to not sign up for something and then end up paying for money that you never received service for, we just want to remind you to take the time to really understand what you are signing up for. Uh, So that might be things like uh, you go in, you check out the gym, you make sure the gym is right for you, 
And then you uh, look at the contract you're signing to see what the term is. And more importantly, what happens if you decide to cancel? What, what kind of costs you're looking for? And do these uh, gyms uh, sort of, it's kind of like a cell phone contract. Do they demand a year's contract, two-year contract? Or, or is it still possible to sort of, sort of do a month-to-month? Well, lots of gyms know that people are making resolutions right now. So there, there are lots of gyms with a variety of different options. Really, it's, it's to your best interest to, to shop around, to do your research. Um, some companies will offer promotional offers to get you in the door. And then when they get you in the door, you know, the, some of them will, you know, let you see their equipment, let you see what the courses or classes are like. Others might put a little bit more pressure to get you to sign up right away. Um, so I would just really encourage people, if they are taking advantage of a, a limited free trial or, or some sort of promotional opportunity, to really take advantage of it, to really explore the gym, to see what it's like, um, to use it as if you were using it as part of a contract and then asking if it's right for you. I guess, uh, then, yeah. uh, sorry, I was going to say, a part of it is also just determining your own fitness goals. Like Sometimes you don't need to be at a gym. If, if you prefer running, you can do that in the outdoors or there are other clubs you could be joining, other types of fitness you could be involved in. I guess that, that's the first question is, do I need a traditional gym? That's part of the conversation, an honest conversation you kind of need to have with yourself. Absolutely. And in, and in some cases, you might even want to get some medical advice to make sure that you're in the right ship, shape for um, the kind of gym membership you're considering. So it's not just about walking into a, a gym and, and um, you know, suddenly you've met your goal. It's really assessing what your needs are um, and really what you're going to do with the gym once you sign up. Uh, so it is taking an honest look and asking yourself, am I going to use this? When am I going to use this? And is the gym going to meet my needs? Do, do, do you hear complaints about people being coerced or sort of more aggressive sales uh, tactics being used on people when it comes to a gym? We, we definitely get complaints about people going into a, a gym facility and then not realizing that once they sign up that contract, that um, they're now bound to that agreement. And so that's why it's really important for you to, to read over the agreement. Um, and understand your rights because, uh, you know, when you do sign up for this type of agreement, there are some mandatory uh, cancellation rights that you do have, uh, but often there are some things attached to that. So, for example, you might have to move more than 30 kilometers away, for example, to be able to cancel. Um, so you need to be aware and read over the contract and really understand it. Mm-hmm. I guess part of the conversation is also, uh, you know, beyond these wonderful gyms, private sector gyms, and maybe look at the local rec center as well. Sometimes they can be cheaper, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they can offer you opportunities where you may not be going as consistently as you like, I guess, but paying that monthly fee, better to buy tickets where you just pay for the times that you go. That's part of it as well, I guess. Yeah, there's lots of different options out there. And so if you can really get a sense of what you think you're going to use or how often you're going to use, I mean, part of that is is really understanding yourself. If this is a brand new habit you're developing, I mean, they say that it takes six weeks to to build and and really get a habit in place. Um, So if you've got any doubt there, then perhaps signing a two-year agreement isn't the best option for you. Maybe it is starting off with the a monthly pass and then really assessing whether or not this is going to be a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. Simone, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Anytime.
Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.